0: OK, I want to move on. Today, we're going to be talking about love. And I like how towards the end of this emotion series, we're using grief, which encapsulates. Caps- I can't say that word. The last two weeks. Encapsulates. It brings together a lot of the different emotions. Same today with uh, love that we're talking about. But I will be really honest with all of you. And, and first service seemed to go OK. So I think we'll be all right. Uh, Last night I had my message open on the computer and da-da-da, you know, you save your message and et cetera. About 12.10, the power flashed at my house. I didn't think anything of it because everything stayed up on the screen. I've got a battery backup. Uh, Anyway, this morning I went down, I looked over my message, I hit save. I was gonna send it to my email to put it on my iPad so that I could have it here. And of course the file was totally corrupted. So at 7.10, I realized I have no notes today. (laughs) I scribbled a couple things down that I remembered, but we'll see how we do. Um, I love preaching without notes. Love. There's many definitions of love. Uh, The one that I seem to think was probably the best definition of love was an intense feeling of deep affection. And in 1 John 4 that Nathan and Kirsten read for us, Uh, the second part it says God is love so we see that an attribute of who God is is love it's a part of his character it's a part of his nature Christianity is really motivated anchored grounded in rooted in love can everyone say love our motive is always love throughout history we have seen multiple people over multiple generations that have operated outside of love but called themselves Christians This is logically inconsistent. That means that if you're not operating in the nature of Christ, you can't really call yourself a Christian. If you're not operating in love. So some of the atrocities that have happened in the name of God were not directed by God. People just use God to justify their wrong behavior, and that's horrible because what that does is that affects people's view of God. But God's character states clearly in his word, and if you know him at all, he is love. God is love. It's part of who he is. So when we're looking at Christianity and this concept of love, we have to understand, okay, that love is really the basis for what we do. It's our approach. Now, Tertullian said, all people love their friends, only Christians love their enemies. Jesus teaches that. We see where he says pray for those who despitefully use you bless those who curse you you know over and over again this is a theme in the bible but this differentiates christianity from the other world religions because many world religions don't talk about loving your enemies i know one religion talks about people that disagree with you or infidels other religions they love people but they don't speak the truth so just because you think you're a cat doesn't make you a cat but they're not going to tell you that I hate to tell you this but you're not a cat you're a human you're made in god's image and his likeness now i said that to go here we're going to talk about in the greek language there's four words for love three of them are specifically mentioned in the bible and, and one's inferred uh, it's there in the hebrew and i'm going to talk about that one first because when i say love that's what most of you think of today in the culture and that's eros The romantic love. This is the love that we see, you know, when you fall into love. It's that romantic feeling of love. This is a highly sexualized love. It has to do with lust a lot of times also. And I mean, our culture is so infatuated with Eros that they can't even sell stuff without putting half-naked people in the ads because it draws people to think, oh, maybe if I buy that product, I can look like that and have those people. Isn't that the message that it communicates in the advertising? And then you start using the product and you find out that you don't attract those kind of people because it has nothing to do with what product you use. You probably should use a product. In other words, brushing your teeth is good. (laughs) However, which toothpaste you use to brush your teeth is up to you to decide. (laughs) And some people just use baking soda, but whatever suits your fancy, I'm good with it. Okay, Fresh breath better than bad breath. But Eros is kind of a little bit, you know, it's most fully realized in the Song of Solomon, right? And it's only inferred in the New Testament when it it talks about context of covenant and marriage and operating in that alone. Okay. The next one that you're going to see in the Bible is found in Romans 12.10. I'll read it to you. Love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Now, there's, there's two, two statements in there. The first one is this philo storge, which I'm going to get to. We're talking about storge now, which is that brotherly love and affection that you have for family members. So you know how a father loves his son, or a mother loves her daughter, or a husband loves a wife, or you, you know what I'm talking about, that family love that you have for your parents and your uncles and aunts and your grandparents? Does anyone have any family members that they love? (laughs) This is storge, okay. This is that tender love and affection that you have, you know. And hey, I've heard it said, blood is thicker than what? (laughs) You know. Sometimes people go to family above all else, and they should. You know, family's important. Family should stick together. Now, the thing is with Storge, or this Philo Storge, it has to do with this tender love, and they also bring the brotherly love in with Philadelphia. Now, now, Philadelphia is a city that really needs to work on this brotherly love, especially if you read any of the headlines. They were named good, but then then they had lost track of what their intention was. But for us as Christians, we are supposed to have that brotherly love and affection for one another. Can everyone say one another? So that means the way that we treat each other is the same way that we love our family members. That's thorge, and that's what it's talking about here in Romans 12, 10. Now I wanna go to the next two, phileo and agape. They are interchangeable for most of your New Covenant. Most of your New Testament, they're interchangeable, phileo and agape. They're two words that can be interchanged, except in a few instances, and I'm gonna try to differentiate that for you in a moment. Leo has to do with that friendship love. You know, think of the love you have for your best friend. Does anyone have a best friend? I tell my kids don't have a best friend, just have a circle of good friends. And they can all be your best friends. But, you know, that's this friendship love. But it's more of an emotional feeling type of love. It's an affectionate feeling kind of love. You know, you know those are the people that I love you today, but when we have a fight, I don't love you so much. It's more based on how you feel, but that's the phileo. It's that love that we have for our fellow man. It's not a sexual love that you have for each other. That's eros, okay? But it's the love you have for your, your good friends and your community, and it's, it's an emotional feel-good feeling like you like being with these people. Does anyone like being with some other people? I know some of you don't like people very much, but that's okay. <laughs> Jesus came to bring healing to that because we were made for community but you were probably hurt but that's okay God loves you so much that he died for you so you can come back into community agape it's kind of more of an abstract or a spiritual love it's not something that's generated by feelings. see where phileo focuses more on the feelings agape is more of a choice or a decision I think one writer said it's it has something to do with an exercise of the will I'm going to say Agape is a love requiring sacrifice. Can everyone say sacrifice? Now I know all of you love sacrificing things. How many love sacrifice? Oh boy, we're gonna have fun now. (laughs) Perfect. But I just, I wanna clarify one thing because in some camps that we run with, um, they teach that agape is, they call it the God kind of love. And, and I like that as a definition. It's part of the definition, but I don't think it's complete. So God loves us agape. He loves us willingly and sacrificially. That is correct, okay? But to define it only as the God kind of love without adding some of those other elements of um, a choice and a decision to love, because you look at John 3, 19, where people love the darkness more than light, Or in 2 Timothy 4.10, where Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this life see. In both of those instances, loving the darkness and loving this world system, that's agapeo or agape. So they made a point of their will to love darkness and they made a point, they made a choice to love the things of this world more than God. Or they made a choice to love darkness more than light. So if you say it's the God kind of love, it's difficult process because then we get into well does god love the darkness more than light no so that's why i'm saying it's a part of the definition does everyone understand that i had it worded a little bit better in my notes and i lost my notes so i'm trying to remember how i wanted to explain it okay but you need to understand that agape is that sacrificial love where god loved us so much yes he did that he sent jesus to earth for you and for me Now I want to tell you about Mark 14. Remember Peter and Jesus were talking, and Peter says, Jesus, I'll never deny you, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, Peter, whatever. Before the rooster screams three times, you know, you're going to deny me, and Peter's like, no, I'll die for you. Does anyone remember that? Fast forward, Peter denies Jesus three times, and then you go all the way back to John, you know, 21, and Jesus and Peter are talking on the beach. Jesus walks up to Peter and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Agape. And Peter answers Jesus and says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And he says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. And then he gets hurt because Jesus asks him a third time. Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. (laughs) Did you catch that? I'll try to explain. Peter, in his will, decided, I will never do this in his own power. And he failed miserably, as most of us do when we try to do things in our own power. And I think he was probably dealing with some shame when Jesus came and met him before because he denied the one that he loved. So when Jesus was saying, Peter, are you willing to give it all for me? Are you willing to sacrifice everything for me? And he's like thinking to himself, but I already demonstrated I wasn't. So he said, I feel the love, I've got that emotional feeling of love for you, Lord, but I'm having a hard time saying I'm gonna lay it all on the line because I've already demonstrated I couldn't. And I'm gonna draw a line there and I'm gonna come over here for a second. Personally, when I read the, the account of the crucifixion and the arrest, you know, we see in the garden, they come to arrest Jesus and what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword to defend Jesus he even cuts off Malchus's ear, which is a really strange account. <laughs> OK? But we see that Jesus says, "Put your sword away, and then he heals the guy." For me, I think that really sent Peter for a loop, because Peter really intended to die and fight for Jesus, and then Jesus said, "Stop fighting, You can't die for me today. Put your sword away." You catching that? And there's some evidence in the text that Matthew, Mark and Luke were written in an earlier day, and John was written much later. And I almost wonder if they left the names out in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they didn't want to condemn Peter <laughs> because if they would have found out, oh, he's the guy that drew the sword in the garden. <laughs> you know, it's dark, there's confusion, you know, but, but see, for me, that really sent Peter for a loop because he really did love Jesus and he really was willing to die. But then when Jesus said, no, I think it threw him off. I'm not trying to justify what he did. I'm just saying I can understand why he took that path. But see, Jesus came and extended love back. And in the end, he met Peter right where he was at and said, Okay, you've got that emotional connection of love to me. That's fine. We'll start there and go from there. And then Peter went on and he started laying down his life for Christ, which tells me we're all in a process. Jesus met him right where he was at and he started progressing to where God wanted him to be. So, to recap the conversation, Jesus said, Peter, sacrificial love. Do you sacrificially love me? Peter said, I have this emotional feeling of love towards you. Jesus said, do you sacrificially love me? Peter said, I emotionally have this feeling towards you. Jesus came over to his side and said, hey, Peter, you have this emotional feeling of love? And Peter said, yes, I have this emotional feeling of love. How are we doing? Are you catching the difference with a phileo and agape? Then in Matthew 22, Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment. So you have these two rivals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, kind of like our political parties today. One day they'll figure out that if they could just work together for the benefit of the country. (laughs) However, um, there's these rival parties. So you have the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the Pharisees try to trap Jesus, and of course he sidesteps their trap. You know, the Sadducees try to sidestep Jesus, and he sidesteps their trap and then kind of pins them, you know. So the Pharisees come back, and they send this young expert of the law to try to trap Jesus. One of them, an expert of religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, there's 612 commandments in the law of Moses. God summed them up with 10 commandments. 10 commandments. And then Jesus brilliantly comes back with this answer and says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Put God first. And then the second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two. In other words, all of the laws of the old covenant hinge upon two statements. Love God, love others. Jesus summed them up in two statements. But when I say loving God, what does this look like to you? Does it mean that you show up for church 10 minutes late and leave 10 minutes early once a week and you love God? Does it mean you show up on time, put $10 in the offering, go home, and that's your service to God? Is that how you love God with your, your life? What does what loving God look like to you? Does loving God mean he's first place in your life? But is he first place with your time? Do you spend time with him every day? I mean, I can tell my wife I love her all day, but if I never spend any time with her, I don't think she's gonna believe me. What does love look like to you? What does loving God look like to you? We love God as long as he does what we want when we pray. God, you wave your magic wand and make it happen, or I don't love you so much anymore. That doesn't sound like love. That sounds like manipulation. Just asking. What does loving God look like? What does God being first place in your life look like? How about loving others? When we love people, how do we love people? Do we put people first? Do we serve others with joy? Oh, come on, let's see. Let me read this first, John 15. I've loved you even as the Father's loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things, so you'll be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. If you're in his love, you should have joy. I don't know why people think that in Christianity they have to look like they were baptized in prune juice. We're sucking on sour lemons all day. (laughs) This is my commandment love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he goes on, he says, This is my command love one another. You have to have his love so you can effectively love others. If you don't know God is love and you don't receive his love for yourself, how are you ever going to love others? That's really important. But you know pastor i don't really want to take care of the kids i want to babysit the kids i don't want to work in kids church i don't want to babysit you know i don't want you to babysit either because really if we love children we're going to invest in them we're going to train them we're going to encourage them and we're going to take the wisdom god has given us and we're going to bring it down to them at their level Oh, I don't want to mentor people. Well, look, if God's entrusted you with some wisdom, you would be wise to take that wisdom and give it to others. That's love. Oh, I don't want to give my money to the church. Hey, that's between you and God at the end of the day, but the truth is the generous people are the ones that find themselves blessed. And that principle supersedes only Christianity because in the world there's people that are generous that God blesses and we get upset Because God's blessing them because they're generous. Oh, I'm a Christian. I should be blessed. Well, if you're not generous, don't expect to be blessed. If you're not even faithful with God as entrusted to you, how can you expect to be blessed? But see, if we love people, then we're willing to sacrifice something so that we can accomplish what God has put in our heart to do. You know, I've shared with you over some of the times when I've missed it with my love walk like when that kid threw all the dog droppings in my backyard, so I threw it back. (laughs) Or when people cut me off and I want to run them into the ditch, you know. But that's not how I normally live. I've shared my failures to be transparent with you, but the truth is there's many opportunities that we have to walk in love where people say all kinds of things, but you don't have to respond to what they say. Just because someone has a problem doesn't mean I have to have an answer. Just because someone's got something to say doesn't mean I have to go and say something back. Just because someone cuts you off going into the drive-thru doesn't mean you have to get upset. Why don't you just bless them? Buy them food. I've done it. They look at you funny sometimes, but yeah, that that blue car in front of me that cut me off, I'm going to buy their food today. Just tell them to go ahead. I'll take care of it. See, there's many opportunities. My wife and I, while we get along fabulously, most of the time, how many know there's times when in marriage you have disagreements? Anyone been married for more than five minutes? (laughs) And every now and then couples tell me, well, we never fight. I'm like, then you're not honest with each other. How you fight is important, sure. But you know, even when I'm not happy in liking my wife, I still choose to serve her. I'll make her her cup of tea. Even if I'm not liking our conversation or what she's doing or what I, or she doesn't like what I'm doing, I'll still bring her her cup of tea. I'll still open her door for her. I'll still serve her any way that I can, because I agape my wife. I also phileo my wife and my wife, but that's another conversation. See, agape is sacrificial love where we lay down what we want to serve others despite how they're treating us. And she'll do the same for me, I'm sure, when she's not happy with me. But see, what I'm trying to communicate to you is there's a love that's selfless where we put others first. You know, hey, Christ died for you. That's where love is most fully realized, in sacrifice. When you lay down your life for others. But do you die to yourself in prayer for the lost? Are you believing God for some people that don't know Jesus and don't have the message of hope to come into the kingdom? The sad reality is about 6% of Christians lead someone to Christ in their lifetime. In their lifetime, 6%. It's a sad indictment on our churches. Because if God's given you the message of hope, the cure, Sin, poverty, lack, emotional distress. We have hope. We can take the hope we have and bring it to others. Why don't we? You have good news. People need to hear good news. Why don't we? Well, that tells me that we don't love people. We love our pride more than we love people. Pastor, I don't want to serve my spouse. Don't. Can't make you do nothing. I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says we lay down on our lives and we serve each other. Actually, go to Ephesians five. It starts with imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, which was a pleasing aroma to God. In other words, when Jesus sacrificed his life, It smelled good. Then he goes on and says, don't be immoral. Hey, single people, let's see. Men, if you really love that one you're dating, you'll treat her with honor and respect until you're in a covenant relationship. And women, if you really love that guy you're with, You won't try to hook them with your body or by dressing inappropriately. That's not love. That's lust. That's eros, gone to seed. That's buying into the cultural lie about what love is. Funny how so many people say they're in love when they get married, yet one of the main reasons they separate is because they say we fell out of love. You fell out of eros. And see, there comes a day when the relationship matures and the honeymoon ends, and you have to go to that next phase of phileo and agape, and that's where we mature and grow up and put on our big boy pants and our big girl pants. But so many people, by the cultural lie and they live in Eros alone, and they end up empty and selfish and hollow. He says, don't live immoral or greedy lives. Watch our words. In other words, guard the words that come out of your mouth. Don't let filthy speech or immoral speech come out of your mouth. Don't be a fool. Stay away from drunkenness. It's going to ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit, it says. This is Ephesians 5. Then he goes on to marriage and he says this, verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some guy said what i like verse 22 where it says she's supposed to submit to me it starts with verse 21 and the context is love gentlemen it starts with verse 21 we submit to one another there's a mutual love and respect that we have in marriage for one another and we value each other Yes, there's headship in the marriage. I don't disagree with that. I understand verse 21 and 22 and 23. But go down to verse 25 and it says, Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. What does it mean to give up your life for her? It means you lay down the things that you want and your selfish ambition and your selfish desires and you take up your cross and you serve and you love. In some cases, that means you have to let her spend some money on herself. Some men don't let their wife spend money, and when they do, they make them feel guilty. I've probably done it once or twice. In every relationship, there's a saver and a spender, right? If you get two spenders together, you guys are in trouble. Someone needs to have an epiphany. So that means my wife gets to go buy a new purse. And I'll stay away from buying the new bearings for my rollerblades until a little bit later. Why? I want to lay down what I want and I want her to have what she wants. Why? Because I love my wife. That's agape, that's sacrificial love. Hey, how many of you have raised kids? How many know children aren't cheap? Goodness. I have a daughter. She's about 60 pounds, maybe 70. She's about this big, tiny little weed. Love her to pieces, but she's a little thing. She ate a 750-gram steak the other day. That's a one-pound, ten-ounce steak. I can barely eat a one-pound, ten-ounce steak. She would ask for more if we let her. See, when you're raising children, how many know they like to go places? Oh, yeah. Mine think that I'm their personal taxi sometimes. <laughs> I love them, and I have to set boundaries, but I also want to serve them and take them places so they can have fun with their friends and go places and do things, right? But this is agape. This is where we love people at cost to ourself. And on the transparent side, I don't always do so good at that because I'm not always happy when I have to drive them across town. I'll be real. And I tell them that. And they tell me they're not feeling the love and I say, well, maybe this is out of balance. Maybe we shouldn't let you go. <laughs> Ephesians five thirty three b the wife must respect her husband. And see, Emerson Egrich came to town and told us all about the crazy cycle, because when the wife isn't respecting her husband and the husband's not respecting the wife, it just goes around and round and round and round and round and round, and, and nobody stops until someone's more mature and starts doing what they're supposed to do. But who's the more mature one in the relationship? The one who leads in love, the one who leads in honor and respect, that's the one that's going to be more mature. And often we're praying for God to change the other person and really the only one you can change is yourself. When you start doing the things God has called you to do, you have to trust the creator that he's gonna do what he's gonna do. This is love. This is love where the rubber meets the road. This is real love. You know, one of the greatest dangers of religion is it has a form of godliness, but it denies the power of God did you understand that? See, where people act like they believe in Jesus, but when the rubber meets the road and the proof's in the pudding, and they have faced with a choice whether they're going to live the Christian life and serve people or not, this is where the reality of it comes in, where your relationship gets tested. This applies to every arena of your Christian faith. If God is love and we're supposed to be like him, then we need to be reflectors of his glory. We need to love other people no matter what they've done to you. See, it didn't matter that I shoved sweet Kirsten's face in this cake. <laughs> she chose to forgive and we moved forward. But there's lots of times people say and do things to you that hurt you. And we take up our cause and our vendetta and we think we have to get them or we, you know, doesn't mean you have to like them, but you can absolutely love them and serve them. But so many times we put our selfish ambition on the throne. I've had people tell me, I'm selfish, pastor. I don't want to serve. Why do you call yourself a Christian if you don't want to take on the nature of Christ? Because he came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve us. And by his example, we should follow in his example. I get it. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're in the process. But my suggestion is start walking in that direction and allowing the Spirit of God to start changing you from the inside out. You know, if that's you, you really need to intentionally start putting yourself off the throne of your life and taking on the nature of Christ. Start serving others. Start wherever you can. The body represented by this wafer. You know, Jesus lived a sinless life. He really lived among us. But he experienced the ultimate in torture, the ultimate in suffering. Crucifixion was designed to increase pain as time went on. Many people didn't even make it to the end. They would either bleed out or die from exhaustion long before the soldiers came and broke their legs most of the time. Jesus got stabbed in the side because they thought he was already dead. Seemed like he was. Thus blood and water coming out of the pericardial sac. But he experienced the wrath of God, the judgment of God for your sin and for mine. And I think that as a church, we need to lay down our self-will and take up our cross. We need to allow the love of God to come forth in our lives because really that's our motive. We love people, but we have to tell ourselves the truth if we're going to love people, that maybe we're not all that and a bag of chips. But that's okay, because in my brokenness, in my weakness, that's when God shows himself strongest. And if I'm willing to learn, are you willing to learn from Jesus and from the Word of God and spend time with him daily so he can let his nature surround you and he can live an example that we're supposed to live? Father, I thank you that in your brokenness, you made us whole. In our weakness, you show yourself strong and that you loved us so much that even when we weren't looking for you, you came and found us. And I ask, Lord, that in our hearts right now, you're going to do a work where we can take ourselves off the throne and put you on the throne and allow you to rule and reign our life. And as we obey you, I thank you that you align us to your purposes for our life and we'll serve where you want us to serve, and we'll go where you want us to go. We'll say what you want us to say to whom you want us to say it. But ultimately, you've trusted us with this great treasure, the message of hope, the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, help us to unashamedly share that with others. And we thank you for dying for us today in Jesus' name. And the cup which represents the blood of the new covenant. Jesus loved you so much he gave all of his blood. All of his life was for you. And some of you haven't reflected his nature as well as you would like. Some of you are still battling the shame of your past. Your conscience condemns you Sometimes people say, I feel guilty when I come to church. Well, start letting the Spirit of God live through you. Start laying down your flesh and taking up the new nature. Because see, in our weakness, he shows himself strong. Did I say that? Yes. Because what happens is it's realizing that we can't do it on our own. It's realizing that we're not good enough. It's realizing that on my own, I'm not righteous enough. I never will be. But thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross and shed your blood so that I could be righteous, so that God can see me as holy and complete. And even though I'm in this process and sometimes I fall down, I can get up and I can continue on unashamed of my faith. And I I just challenge you all. I believe that we can better reflect the glory of God to the culture simply by being real with people simply by allowing the love of God to flow through us. First you receive his love, then you allow his love to go to others. But too many times in churches, our motive shifts from love to condemnation and and conviction. We start trying to condemn people. But you're only going to lead people with love. They're not going to want to follow that path of condemnation. And some of you need to walk out of the shame yourself today. And allow his blood to sh- cleanse your mind, to cleanse your spirit, to cleanse your conscience, so that you too can have the freedom that he purchased for you. Because your sin's no greater than anyone else's, no matter what you think or no matter what lie you've believed. Jesus died to pay the debt of sin, period. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. It is powerful, and I proclaim it over our congregation today, over every man and woman who claims the name of Jesus. I thank you that you've washed us in your word, you've cleansed us and made us whole, and we can stand confident before you, knowing that you're working out this goodness in us. Thank you that we can walk in love at all times towards all people. And Lord, help us to not be ashamed of the message that you've given us. We don't have to clean ourselves up. You clean us up from the inside. And as we reflect your glory, I thank you that you'll give us lots of opportunity to tell others about your goodness and what you've done for us. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. We'll see you next time.